and turn to Exodus chapter 33, please. If you haven't got a Bible, just put your hand in the air, and I'm, I'm not sure if we still have any Bibles out in the foyer, do we? I don't know. If we do, be, if anyone needs a Bible, just put your hand in the air and encourage you to bring your Bible to church each week, and it might be on your phone and stuff, but just engage with the Word every week. And three. And um, what I want to talk about this morning is something that I feel is quite prophetic for us as a location, but also it's about enjoying the presence of God and pursuing the presence of God. Now, now God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And whether we feel him or not, if you're a Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creation through grace. Whether you feel it or not, he is in you and he's walking with you and he's working, transforming you. But the reality is this, there are certain times where he loves to manifest his presence and do wonderful things. As someone once put it, the God who is everywhere loves to show up somewhere in a wonderful way. And I want us to unpack together this morning this whole glorious truth of the manifest presence of God. And so we're going to look in Exodus chapter 33. We'll start in verse 7. And uh, we're going to unpack this for maybe half an hour together. And then we're going to pray for each other that the Lord would come and, uh, and do his stuff. So Exodus chapter 33, start in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. And if and you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray together before we look at these things. Lord God, this could be a life-changing moment for people in this room. Not because of me, but because of the incredible truth we're looking at. So Holy Spirit, please come. Please speak through this word. Breathe life into these words that we've read. God, I pray for every person in this room. We can't fake it with you. We can't manipulate you or spin it. We just need to come as we are and ask you to meet with us where we're at. And so God, come, please. And Holy Spirit, I pray for every person in this room that you would refresh us with a passion for you. Do that in my heart. Do that in our hearts, God. We're so sorry we make this so complicated at times. We pick up stuff that you don't want us to carry and we drudge around in our walk with you when you want us to be free and just sold out with one passion, you. And so God, come please and just do something magnificent this morning, I ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so I want to talk about the presence of God. And, and as I said, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But there are times where he loves to manifest that presence. And this is what Christianity is. We've been saved to enjoy God. That is the reason God has saved you, to enjoy him, to treasure him, to delight in him. As John Piper puts it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The Holy Spirit wants to do something in us that that sees something of the majesty and the beauty and the magnificence of God and that we delight in him and treasure him and pursue him. And in a sense, we know now in only in part, don't we? We see that in Corinthians. And the day will come and we will see him face to face. But the reality is this. Your greatest need this morning isn't for your prayer to be answered Ultimately, it's for you to capture a fresh revelation of God. Can I just be really honest this morning? Is that all I'm going to be anyway? The reality, guys, is this, and I'm just going to be normal and real because this is my life and this is your life. There will be people this morning who are bored in your faith. You're bored. You're just going through the motions. You just maybe turned up here because it's Sunday morning. It's the sort of thing you do. And you're so welcome here. I've done that before. There's other people here who think they're going great guns, but actually when you think about it, the spiritual life that's at work in your heart maybe isn't as quite as fresh and on fire as it once were. And you're not doing anything wrong in your life. You're just not in a moment of of intimacy with the Lord and and running with him. There'll be others here this morning who who, who kind of think, oh great, I'm going to hear a talk about the presence of God and, and I'm just going to feel really guilty about how badly I seem to be enjoying him. And that isn't the purpose of this talk at all. The purpose of this talk is to awaken in you, to provoke in you a passion for more of him. It isn't about looking back and feeling rubbish. 
It's about drawing a line in the sand, as Paul says to the Philippians, I forget what lies behind, and I press on towards the call that is in Christ. That is, that is the heart. That's my prayer. If we all get to that point this morning where we're saying, yep, I'm going to press on to all that God has for me, then that is something that God has done and I'm very grateful for. Because I want to talk about this manifest presence of God this morning. And the reality is Jesus is here by his spirit. And he comes to fill us individually and he comes to fill us corporately. And, and when we're walking with the Lord closely, it's wonderful. Suddenly when you, when you pick up this book and you read it, it, it isn't just a habit or a duty. It's a relationship of love with the Lord. You read this word and, and suddenly it's not like an academic thing to study or, or just words on a page, but the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And there are times that you perhaps weep over the truth in this word when God says, this is true for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And suddenly prayer doesn't become a habitual duty where, well, I've got to do this in order to tick that off my checklist for the day. It becomes something we delight in doing. It becomes something that is relational. It's like, yeah, I can't wait to meet with the Lord in prayer and to spend time with him. And then our lives are transformed because we live courageously for Jesus. Not out of a duty or performance thing, but out of a sense of, I love you so much, God. This is all for you because I've seen something of who you are. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not natural. And suddenly our whole walk with the Lord takes a whole different dynamic. It is glorious. He fills us individually. But then he fills us corporately. And friends, we must never lose sight of our our ultimate need as a church is a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate need. You can have incredible talks on information from this book that, that are really interesting. But unless there's the anointing of God upon the preach, lives won't be changed. You can have a, a, a full band with amazing lights and, and sound, and, and it can produce something in us that's a feeling of, oh, this is a nice event to attend. But unless it's the power and presence of God, nothing will happen. You can have a group of people that you connect with as friends, and that's called a social club. But when God turns up, it becomes a church, and it becomes a family. And it becomes we stick together through thick and thin. And grace is something that glues us together. And, oh, I'm in this place. And, and yet I want to get to that place. And it's like, come on, we're in this. Let's go for it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, oh, some of you are looking a bit bored. But let me just keep going. The greatest need for us as a church is the power of the Holy Spirit. Period. That is the only thing that is going to get us from here to there, like we've been thinking about the last few weeks. Suddenly church meetings don't become just turning up as normal. It comes with an expectancy that God is here and anything can happen. And I challenge you, if you come expectant this morning, that God is here and anything can happen. There's an expectancy, a faith level rise. Prayer meetings are no longer things that people avoid. They attended and they're passionate. And they're longing for more of God. And and suddenly God shows up and it's glorious and it's magnificent. And this is a spirit-filled church. People that don't yet know Jesus come and are introduced to him while the presence of the Lord is moving in the midst of his people. Healing, signs and wonders, miracles happen. And they're pointing people to Jesus. This isn't just fairy tale stuff. 
This is the stuff God is doing in our midst today. And we want more and more. And, and I just sense in my heart, we can so easily lose this passion for more of God. And I want us to look at these verses from Exodus. Are you guys still with me? I want us to look at these verses from Exodus. And none of it is new. And I don't care if it's new for you. I want to ask you, are you living it? I don't care whether you know it here. I'm asking whether you're living it Monday to Saturday and including Sunday. <laughs> is this something that we're capturing our hearts afresh? And the whole context of Exodus 33 is this. Moses has been raised up to lead God's people out of Egypt. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. And he raised up and he leads them out of Egypt. And they cross the, um, the, the sea and um, they, go, they walk for a few days and they come to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up Mount Sinai and God shares with him his heart for how his people are to live. And this is an exciting moment. Can you imagine how Moses must have felt? He's, he's anticipating, he's expecting, he's like, come on, this is fantastic. We're out of Egypt. We've got this new season ahead of us. And he walks down the mountain with these tablets. And what's happened whilst he's up there is the people have, have given up on God. Aaron, his sidekick, has led the people to build a golden calf and they're worshipping that instead. And there's a sense of we're giving up on God and we're going to worship this calf instead. And God is furious with his people. And Moses' anger burns red hot if you read the verses. And God says, right, Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out and start again with you. And if you read in Exodus 32, Moses just cries out and he intercedes on behalf of this people. And God says to him at the start of the chapter, okay, Moses, uh, I'm going to give you everything that I've promised, but I won't go with you. And that is the context of these verses we're looking at. These people were saved because one man hungered after God more than anything else. And that is what we're looking at this morning, this heart of Moses who pursued the presence of God. And four lessons for you and I personally, corporately, on pursuing the presence of God. First thing is this, Moses pitched the tent. He pitched the tent in verse 7. We read, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Moses knew exactly where he could go to meet with God. He pitched the tent knowing that God would meet him there. And the first lesson, if we want to be people who pursue the presence, who enjoy the presence, is that we need to know exactly where we can go in order to meet him. And the way we go is Jesus. It's the cross. It's the empty tomb. That is our confidence in drawing near to God. So the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 10 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, it is only by his blood. You never move away from the cross. You never grow up as a Christian and think, well, I don't need that anymore. It's all by grace. It's all by what he's done. And that gives us the confidence that saying, God, because of what you've done, I can draw near to you in this moment. Because my confidence is not in my own performance, but in the fact that on that cross, it is finished. It is a done deal. The pain, the shame, the sin, the punishment against that sin, the wrath of the Father was laid fully upon Jesus. And he dealt with it once and for all. And those of us who have been Christians for years, don't ever get bored of that. How can we get bored of that? When I survey the wondrous cross, amazing grace, outrageous grace. And so we need to understand we've got to pitch the tent. Don't get religious. 
Don't think, well, I've got this checklist. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Uh, Okay, now I could draw near. You just come as you are and say, Lord, I've got no other confidence but you. And in your grace, I'm going to draw near to this throne in confidence because it's all about what Jesus has done. Philip Yancey puts it this way. Grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I, who deserve the opposite, I'm invited to take my place at the table in God's family. I love that. So enjoying the presence, pursuing the presence, involves us pitching the tent. (laughs) Have you done that? Is that where your confidence is in this morning? Are you deliberately pursuing the presence by starting by pursuing the cross and saying, God, only through the cross can I come through. By faith in that. I'm placing all my faith in that. So that's the first thing. Moses pitched the tent. The second thing is that Moses personally met with God. We just see this in verses 8 to 13. He intentionally, consistently spent time personally pursuing and enjoying God's presence. We see this, that he regularly takes time to pitch the tent. The people know what he's doing. There's a pattern to his life, a regularity to his life, on his own, with the Lord, face to face, as someone talks to a friend. That wonderful verse. Just this incredible picture of a holy, glorious God drawing near and having relationship and intimacy with a broken man. I just love these verses, this, this truth that Moses, Moses listened to God's voice. And in these verses, he reminds God of what he said. And I want to encourage you, are you swimming in the Bible? Just you. Do, do you take time with him on his own? He doesn't want a second-hand relationship with you. You don't need a priest. You don't need a vicar. You don't need older Christians. You just need Jesus. Now, God uses those people, thankfully. But the ultimate thing is, there's no excuse for you not to spend time with the Lord one-on-one. Because he loves you and he wants to meet with you. And Moses regularly met with the Lord to the point they knew what he was doing. And then he was honest. He just said, God, you said this. You said you'd be with us, but it doesn't feel like that. He didn't just engage with God's word, but he prayed and, and, and was honest with God. Pour out your heart to him on your own, but take time regularly saying, God, I want to meet with you. And in reverence and all, that's what Moses did. He's real. He's not religious. He didn't come out with textbook answers. He comes before a holy God in honest and real words. And can I just provoke you this morning? I don't care how passionate you are on a Sunday morning for Jesus. If you're not Monday to Saturday pursuing Jesus, then it's slightly fake. Oh, that's gone quiet. But but let's be real. We can do it. We can come to church, hands in the air, smiles on our faces, whoopee, wah, up, come by up. And then Monday morning to Saturday, we just forget about him. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's Sunday, it's Jesus' day. I better remember. Actually, it's Jesus' happy hour when I'm at church and then I forget about him the rest of the day. But do you spend time with him? Because he loves you. He wants you to walk with him. And it's all by grace. And so I want to encourage you this morning, pitch your tent. Say, God, I want to make this a pattern of my life where I personally engage with your word, personally and real with you, personally hear you speak into my life. This is biblical Christianity. And so I encourage you by grace. Again, don't look back and feel rubbish. Draw a line and push on. To all that the Lord has for us. Amen.
And then the last two are things that I really felt God was saying, because those two are, are kind of foundational. But this is what I felt the Lord was saying to us these last two. The first thing is this. Moses prioritized God's presence. This is so important. He refused to allow anything or anyone else to be more supreme in his life than God. This is, this is staggering. Again, in, in your Bibles, just read the first three verses in Exodus 33. You see, there were pressures upon Moses' life that could easily have knocked him off course. And the context that in the natural, Moses is being offered everything he'd been praying for. So verses 1 to 3, the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, any other rites, and going up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you unless I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Just, just to allow the enormity, this is a real man in a real moment with a real God being given a real promise. God is saying to Moses, I'll give you what I've promised you. I'll send an angel who will give you certain victory against every army that comes against you. It's a done deal, Moses. I'll give you the most incredible house, most glorious life, milk and honey flowing, everything you wanted, but you won't have me. And I just think we're so quick to push over that and think, wow, it's obvious, isn't it? Is it? Check your heart. Here's a few things that I thought of when I was preparing this. What are you longing for God to do in your life? And just put this offer into its context. I want to heal you of that cancer, but you won't have me. I'm not saying God is saying this. I'm trying to contextualize, get you to grab something of what Moses faced. I will restore your marriage, bring reconciliation to your family, but you won't have me. I will sort out your finances once and for all, but you won't have me. I'll give you kids and your kids will be amazing, but you won't have me. I'll prosper your business and make it huge and international, but you won't have me. I'll give you a location of over 500 people with multiple services and an amazing building, but you won't have me. I'll give you an international ministry with best-selling books, but you won't have me. This is what God was saying to Moses in effect in Exodus 33. I'll give you everything, Moses, you've been working towards and longing for, but you won't have my loving presence with my people. And and I just think there were two huge pressures upon Moses that could easily have led him to say, okay, God, call it quits. I just want that. I want an easy life. I want to know what it is just to, to, to just to have that and not have the battles. Two things. The first thing is this, the pressures of leadership and just doing life in a fallen world. I think the pressure of just being in leadership for Moses and doing life in a fallen world could easily have led him to say, okay, God, I just want an easy life now. The context is this. Moses have led these people out of Egypt. And you read the story, it's actually really encouraging as a leader. Because Moses experiences a group of people who have experienced incredible moves of God. 
And all they do is grumble and moan. He takes them out of Egypt and after three days, they they can't find water. And so they turn to Moses and says, Moses, sort it out. There's no water. He cries out to God and then God provides them for them by turning bitter water into sweet. That's a miracle. That's incredible. Surely that was enough. Then a few days later, the people have nothing to eat and turn against Moses again and actually says to them, we wish we were still back in Egypt. It would be much better back there. And Moses has to deal with that in that moment. And God supernaturally provides this manna from heaven for them to eat. And then we see even a bit later than that, they've got no water. So they turn against Moses again to the point where Moses thinks they're going to kill him. I mean, that's bonkers. I've had pressures of leadership, but I honestly don't think I've been in the point of thinking, oh my goodness, they're going to kill me. <laughs> but this is where Moses was at. All this pressure upon his life of dealing with people. And then in in Exodus 18, we see the weight of leadership was so much on Moses. He was so close to burnout that Jethro says to him, you need to appoint these other elders to help carry the weight of responsibility. And then we see in Exodus 32, this moment Moses had been longing for, expecting for, and he's totally let down by someone he loved and trusted. He goes up this mountain to hear from God and he comes down and Aaron, who he's been so close to, he was his mouthpiece in Egypt. That guy turns his back on what God is wanting them to do and leads the people away from God. And if you've never been in leadership, this won't really mean much to you. But if you are in leadership, in connect group leadership or project leadership or team leadership, there's an element of, wow, I can kind of resonate with this in my heart. Just walking with people that, 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 that sometimes let you down. Like we let other people down because we're all inconsistent. And I want to suggest in this moment, Moses was being offered the weight of leadership off him completely. And now he could just go and think about himself and enjoy it. That's a very real pressure. But the second pressure was this, the success of vision. You see, almost to the other extreme, Moses was being offered everything he'd prayed for, uh, and, and in a sense, the vision he had could have driven him to saying yes. I think there was a real danger in this moment that Moses could have let vision overtake intimacy with God. And this can happen. The pressures of leadership can squeeze out the joy of God. It really can. The pressures of just walking with people and the pressures of carrying that can get to the point just say, I've had enough, God. I don't want to do this anymore, God. I just want to focus on me, myself, and my family, God, and no one else. Just taking the season out. And that's where Moses could have said. But equally, I think in this moment, he, his desire to succeed could easily have led him to say, okay, God, I'm going to go for that too. This moment where he had a vision for a land flowing with milk and honey. And God is saying, you'll get that, but you won't have me. And the danger is this, the more visionary we are, the more important it is to keep coming back to the God of the vision. You see, he isn't, he is the vision. We we want this church to be hundreds large, multiple services, hundreds feet walking with Jesus. And I long for that, I pray for that, but that's because God has given me that vision, and I pray he's given you that vision. But I tell you what, ultimately it's Jesus is the vision. It is all him. And when it is all him, 
You keep going when you want to quit. When it is all him, when things are so struggling, you say, God, it's you and you alone that I'm holding on to. And in this moment, Moses could have been on God TV, big platforms. His Twitter account would have exploded with likes. Wow, you've, you've led a slave people out of Egypt, now into a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses, you are awesome. You must do a six-part seminar on leadership for us at this conference. He could have had everything. And yet he chose God more than the vision. What is the purpose of your life? What do you long for God to do in your life? If the vision ever becomes bigger than God, then you're worshipping the vision and not God. And in a church where we're longing for God to do stuff, we've got to make his presence a priority here. So how are you doing? Moses refused to cave into the pressures of life. And he just prioritized the presence of God. He says, if your presence won't go with us, we're not going. And he says, if you don't go with us, we're just going to be the same of everyone else. Josh is a member of the tennis club in town. I tell you what, it's an amazing club with brilliant people. Really friendly people. I tell you what, it's a bit like a church in that sense. But what makes us distinct from a tennis club is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we need the presence of God in this place to make us distinct. And there's other reasons, you know what I'm saying here. But we must pursue the presence. Moses is saying, what's the point of doing this if you're not with us? Without you, we're just the same as everyone else. It's your empowering presence that makes us distinct and different. Is this landing okay? What do you pray most for this church? Do you even pray for this church? Are we in a place where we're saying, God, may your presence fall afresh. God, may you move in this town and see tens of thousands of people saved. God, may you anoint the preaching. So it's not just a, a person on a platform speaking at us, but we're, we're sensing the presence of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit speaking hearts and lives are changed. Are we praying for the presence of the Lord above everything else? He prioritized the presence. And then the final thing is he passionately pursued more of God. See, this is something that really intrigued me and challenged me in this when I read this for the first time. See, in a sense, God has answered Moses' prayer. Moses has said, God, we don't want to go anywhere unless you're with us. And And God has said to Moses, okay, I'm going to go with you. And in a sense, Moses has had that prayer answered. And Moses, remember, knew what it was to be in the presence of God. He spoke to him face to face as a friend. It's incredible. And yet he hungered for more. He says, please show me your glory. In this moment, he, he longed to know God more, to see God as himself. I just find this staggering this, this, this whole request blows my mind. You see, it wasn't enough for Moses to hear God's word. He wanted to meet the God of the word. And this is how I understand what's happening in these moments. It, it is that Moses needed not just to hear the promise of God. He needed to be reassured of the God of the promise. And the biggest need for every person in this room 
It isn't necessarily just to hear God's word, how important that is. It really is important. But the only reason we trust God's word is because of who God is. And in this moment, as Moses was going to step out in faith, he's saying, God, I've heard your word. I've heard your promise. But Lord, I need to come back to the God of the promise. And he says, now show me your glory. John Piper puts it this way. For Moses to have assurance that God would actually be this gracious to Israel, he needed to see some basis in God and not in himself or the people. He needed to glimpse the nature of God. He needed to see afresh the goodness and the grace of God. And I'm going on a bit, so sorry, but just stick with me for a bit. In this moment of time, he experienced who God is. His character, his majesty, his magnificence, his glory. He heard his name. He spoke him. He, was, he, 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 he heard the voice of God in that moment. He saw his goodness, the goodness of God. He, he was overwhelmed by the goodness of God before his eyes. He was overwhelmed by the mercy and the grace. I will be gracious to those I will be gracious to. He experienced the mercy and the grace and the love. But then he's totally broken by the holiness of God, the otherness of God. See, he couldn't see him to his face because God is infinitely greater than us. And just a glimpse of him, wham, he would have been wiped out. And in that moment, he didn't just need the friendship, he needed the fear. And friends, we need the fear of God. I need it, desperately. Again and again, to stop playing games with him. To see him for who he is and say, God, you are God, I am not. My life is yours. Now take me as I am and lead me on. And in this moment, Moses experienced the holiness of God. And is there anyone in this room who can honestly say, if you call yourself a Christian, who doesn't hunger for this this morning? You may be a Christian. If you don't hunger for this, man alive, you need it more than anyone else. If there's nothing in you saying, God, I've lost sight of who you are. It's all about what I have to do. But I've lost sight of you in the midst of it all. And we need him to draw near and to do this. Just remember there are times, if I've got five more minutes, and then we'll, we'll pray. Is that okay? Just times in my life where everything I've known in this, this book suddenly becomes more real. Where the truth of this word, whether it's true, whether I feel it or not, just gets plunged in my heart. And there are moments in my life that have been transforming like that. For us as a church, there have been times where God has been so manifesting his presence that we've been unable to move. Just one instant when Jacob came from Poland and, and, and we came forward and I think for about half an hour we just couldn't do anything but just wait upon the Lord. Not in a religious fanatic we're sort of whipping something up but just his glory came. And I remember I was so concerned for the kids and youth workers being out there, because it was about 20 past 12, that, that I got up on the platform to say, okay, parents, go. And, and I couldn't speak. 
And, and that isn't me. I don't manipulate it or spin it. I just, in fact, I was slightly dying inside because I felt really embarrassed, but I couldn't speak. And all I could then do was fall on my knees and cry out in tongues because the holiness of God was here. And suddenly his presence just filled this place. And my prayer is that you'll experience that in connect groups. You'll experience that in friendship groups. You'll experience that in your workplace, in your shops, wherever you are. The presence of God. Can you imagine what kind of church this would become more and more as we gather, pursuing the presence? The sense of, come on God, meet with us. I'm not just going to meet with my friends, I'm going to meet with the king. And when we meet, it doesn't matter if we've got one person on the platform or a whole band on the platform, we give it our everything in sung worship. Just say, God, you're magnificent. And I want to sing to you and adore you and cry out to you. And when there's a temperature like that, anything can happen. And so this morning, how are you walking with the Lord? Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't ever pitched your tent, as it were. And that's your starting point. You need to give your life to Christ for the very first time, perhaps. You've heard this a million times, but you've never personally said yes to Jesus. And we'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. Please come and grab me or there'll be people here at the front. But I want us to just take moments now as a corporate body, a family of broken people, gloriously held together by a wonderful saviour and just ask the Lord to come. And so the first thing I want to do is to ask if anyone in this room is just saying, yeah, that was for me. I've been in this moment, maybe the pressures of life have just squeezed the Lord out. You're pursuing your family, which is nothing wrong. There's nothing sinful with that. But if you pursue your family more than you pursue Jesus, then that is something wrong. That's gone quiet again. That really has gone quiet. Are you pursuing God above everything else? So if that's you this morning, I'm not talking just family, anything, you're just saying, God, that resonated with me. And this morning I want to say I'm coming back. If that's you, just stand where you are and I'll pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really hot in here. I don't know if the heating's on. Thank you. It's not a sign of immaturity. It's actually a sign of maturity, saying, God, I need you. Anyone else? Don't wait for the person next to you to stand. If you need to stand, stand. Thank you. Thank you. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. And I pray first and foremost you would know the grace of God upon you. You would know you're forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted, and you're secure in him. And I ask Holy Spirit, rise up in them now. Show them your glory. Come, Lord God.
in a way, if you don't feel anything, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you or he's not at work. Lord, I pray for these people. I pray, Father, a line in the sand now for each one of you. Pray as you leave here this morning, you'll know that you've done business with the King, that it is possible. It's not inevitable to be where you are this morning for the rest of your life. There's a, a new season for you in Christ. And so come, Lord. we wait upon you now, Holy Spirit, for everyone else, everyone who's seated. You know where we're at. We need you, Lord. just pray a, a fresh anointing upon all of us here this morning. A fresh hunger for more of God and, and really the fruit of this talk isn't about what's happening now. It's about what's going to be happening tomorrow morning and this week. And so God, I pray for moments of intimacy with you for every person in this room this week, please. Come Holy Spirit. Have a, a time of sung worship. If you want to sit or stand, you just, just do whatever you're wanting to do. It's just between you and the Lord. Let's let these moments be moments where we pursue Him individually as well as corporately.